As you grab your seats, I'll just give one great big high five to the whole room because I'm glad to see y'all. I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us today. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here at Celebration. And uh, we say this a lot, but I want to say it and I want you to know that we mean it. We are glad that you're here today because we realize there are a lot of places you could have been today. Snuggled up on the couch with a cup of coffee, sitting on the porch. I'm sure there's a a soccer or a baseball game happening down at River's Edge Park today. I'm sure the fishing would be great today. It's beautiful weather, wonderful day, but you chose to be here today, and we're thankful and grateful for that. And my prayer is that by the end of the day, you are really glad that you are here because I expect God to do great things today. We expect that every day, every Sunday. I want you to come to church every week expecting God to do great things because I believe this. I believe that expectancy is the perfect breeding ground for miracles. And I think too often we don't really come to church expecting great things to happen. We just, we just come because it's something that we do. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But I'm glad you're here. I hope that you came expecting something today because I plan on having a great time, whether y'all do or not. I plan on having a great time. We'll be today in the book of Nehemiah. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have your Bibles. If you don't, that's cool. We'll have uh, scripture on the screen. And also, if you have the Bible app, you can pull out your phone, go to your Bible app, and you can search for live events, and the notes will be there in version uh, there as well. We'll be starting off here in just a minute uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4. That's in the Old Testament, um, so the first section of your Bible and towards the front of the Old Testament. Um, you can find that in the front, but if you... Uh, need some help finding it. Um, well, my Bible, it is page 750. So just turn to page 750 and follow along. We'll be good to go, all right? Today is just by, this, today's sermon is just kind of by itself. Something we started this year is in between series. We typically do four and five week series. Um, but today is just a, a standalone. I have an opportunity just to speak to you today um, about something that's very close to my heart right now. But if, as Brittany welcomed you this morning, if you're a first or second time guest with us today, again, welcome. I want you to go ahead and plan on coming back next week because you want to hear our lead pastor, Dennis, next week as we kick off our adulting series. With next week being Mother's Day, it will go from Mother's Day through Father's Day. So do not base your opinion on celebration from me today. Come back next week and hear Pastor Dennis, no pressure. All right, so make sure that you make plans to come on back next week because we love to have a good time. We love to lift up Jesus every single week. Yeah. So something that I want to, to speak to you today as we look at the book of Nehemiah. I'll just kind of recap the very first part of, uh, of the book for you. But before we do that, I want you to just have a few visuals in your mind. I'm very visual. I love um, picturing things and seeing them. So um, when Nehemiah, which he was... Um, the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in the nation in Persia at that time. So Nehemiah was Jewish, all right? He was a Hebrew, he was uh, a Jew, but he was in Persia as the cupbearer for the king. Now, the cupbearer was a very important role because the cupbearer took a drink of, uh, of all the, the drink that was brought before the, the king, water, wine, whatever it was, and he would eat everything first because if someone was trying, attempting to kill the king, the, uh, the cupbearer volunteered as tribute. So the cupbearer would take it first, and then they would know if it was safe to consume for the king. It was a, he was in a protecting role. He protected the king by being his cupbearer. So Nehemiah is in Persia, 
And he hears about Jerusalem. He hears about his homeland, the land of his ancestors. And he finds out that whenever the, the Babylonians came in and captured the city... And they took away the exiles. He knew about this, but what he did not know was what the city was in ruins. They had burnt the city gates. They had torn down the city walls. And now Jerusalem has laid in ruins for about 150 years when Nehemiah founds out about it. Now, this is a big deal to Nehemiah because of what I'm about to show you. Because it was so important for a city to have their walls. So here, I want you to look at this picture. This is, uh, this is normal to us. This is what a city looks like to us. Streets and high rises. Here is a shot of beautiful uptown Charlotte, North Carolina. As you can see, this is a familiar site. Probably everyone in the room has, has been there or been to some city. You can think of uh, even our own, our own town, Wilkesboro. There's, there's no, no walls, no gates around the city. But pay close attention to this picture. This is what Jerusalem would have looked like in biblical times. It was very important to have walls around the city because walls protected them. Walls fortified them. It, it was their barrier. It was their protection. It was what they were able to know that they could fend, uh, defend off an enemy. So when Nehemiah finds out that the walls are torn down, it breaks his heart. And actually he's in front of King Artaxerxes and the king asks him, he says, why are you so sad? Because Nehemiah said he had never been sad in the king's presence before. And Nehemiah was visibly sad. He even wept for several days. And the king says, you've never been sad in my presence before. What's going on? And Nehemiah said, I just found out that the land of my ancestors, my homeland, the place that my ancestors are buried, it lies in ruins. The city walls are torn down. The gates have been burned. They have no protection at all. And this is a, a close-up of what the walls would have looked like. You can see how they're very thick. You could walk upstairs to get to them. Some parts of a city wall would be so thick that there were actually houses and building structures on top of that where some of the guards would stay. So it was very important for them to have their city walls. Now let's look at modern-day Jerusalem. Part of modern-day Jerusalem, you can see, is there around the walls. As we're talking about, he's rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. That is what modern-day Jerusalem looks like, the western wall there, um, a very famous um, wall that the, the Jews go to and, and pray in front of. Here's a close-up of that. You can see how massive the stones are. This is present-day Jerusalem. And uh, the Jew, it's the Western Wall, or commonly referred to also as the Wailing Wall because of um, their demeanor when they're in front of the wall because uh, they will go there and, and place their forehead against the wall, write prayers on little pieces of paper, and put it in between um, the cracks and the stones. This is um, a very sacred place, a very holy site for Jews and, and Christians alike, of course. But that's what it looks like today. So it's very important for Nehemiah to get back to his homeland and rebuild the city walls. Just to give you a little bit of context of where this has happened in the timeline um, through the Old Testament. Um, you heard the, the story of, of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. They, this is while they were in exile in Babylon. So all that had happened while they were taken, after they were taken out of Jerusalem. So just to put that timeline in, um, all that happened because Nebuchadnezzar was the king there in Babylon, and they were all in captivity there. This is happening about 
uh, when Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls, this is happening about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. So that just gives you a little bit of timeline of where this is happening at in your Bible. So Nehemiah asked the king for permission to go rebuild the city walls. And the king granted it to him. And God had put this mission on his heart. So he said, well, while I'm at it, I'll try and see what else I can, I can do because I'm going to need safe passage through. So he asked King Artaxerxes, can you write letters for me that I can have safe passage through everywhere I need to be as I come through other countries? So the king did that. And he said, well, while you're at it, I'm going to need some timber to, to rebuild the city gates. So can you write a letter to the keeper of the royal forest, the royal park, and I'm going to need, um, I'm going to need some timber to cut for the, for the gates as well. So the king grants him that and also sends Nehemiah. And this is a pagan king, mind you, but he sent Nehemiah back to Jerusalem, not only with safe passage letters, not only with the ability to cut down trees and timber uh, and, and cut those to be the city gates, but also sends him with an entire army and guards to protect him through his passage. So God has paved the way for Nehemiah to go back to his homeland. He gets back there and he surveys what's happening. There were parts that says that he was on his horse riding through. And there were parts of the city that he could not even get through because there was so much rubble piled up. It is in complete ruins. So he gathers the people together. He organizes them. He gets them together and he says, we're going to rebuild the wall. So everyone said, that's what we'll do. We'll all get together. So they had a pep rally. They all got together and they decided, all right, we're going to build the wall. So he starts building the wall, and then, wouldn't you know it, people got mad. People didn't like the fact that Nehemiah came back and he was going to do a good work. Haters going to hate. And it was these two dudes named Sanballat and Tobiah, and they were mad. They were fighting mad. I'd be pretty mad too, poor thing, if I had to go through life, entire life, with a name like Sanballat. I would I'd be pretty mad too. But he found out that Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. And he was in a neighboring country, enemies of them. And he and Tobiah get together and they send word to Nehemiah. And they start telling them, if you start rebuilding the wall, we'll attack you. If you start doing this, we're going to come in and make sure this doesn't happen. We're going to make sure that God's work does not continue. And that's where our story picks up in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. In verse 10, this is Nehemiah speaking. He said, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Now, this is very shortly after they had the pep rally, and they all said, Yeah, let's build the wall. Let's do stuff. Let's get it done. Verse 11. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Nehemiah had to get ready for the attack. So because of that, he places guards at different stations along the wall. 
At this point, they had already connected the wall in several places. It says in most places they have built the wall up to half its height. They have done incredible work in just a short amount of time. They're making great progress. And these dudes, Samballot and Tobiah, come against them and they want to tear down the work. They want to stop God's work. So Nehemiah has to pull back and make a new game plan. He said, all right, we're going to keep working, but we're going to put guards at different places along the wall. We're going to make sure that the work can continue. And in Nehemiah 15, we see this happen. With our enemy, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, Nehemiah had gotten word that they were going to try and destroy him. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. All right? The attack hasn't even happened yet. It's still impending. The attack is still lurking over them. They're still expecting it, but there's still work to do. They still have a mission to carry out. So Nehemiah says, that doesn't matter. We're going to continue working. So we return to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, verse 16, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Now, do you see what's happened in this progression? He finds out about the wall. He makes a game plan. He gets motivated. He gets permission. He gets all the tools that he needs. He gets the men that he needs. And he goes and he organizes them. He gets the work started. When opposition comes, they make a new game plan. They keep fighting. They keep going. And now he says the attack is still coming, but that doesn't matter because here's what we'll do. We're going to keep working. We're going to be prepared to fight. But know this. When the time comes, our God will fight for us. When the time comes, I want this trial to represent working. Now, this is a, uh, is a masonry trial. I'm not skilled with this. I will just go ahead and admit to you and not even pretend that I am knowledgeable or an expert in using one of these. But I can remember my dad using this. My dad is like one of those guys, you know, like everybody thinks their dad is Superman. Mine really is. Because... He, there's like literally nothing that he can't do. I've watched him build uh, the house that they still live in right now. He built several houses, but the one they're in right now. And at the time we were building this house, I was like 15, uh, 14, 15, 16 years old, like around that time. So I could not care less. I was just there because I had to be. I was there because I had to do my chores and do everything because I had to earn my allowance. It didn't come just on its own. I had to earn it. Where are all my students in the room? So I knew I had to do it, you know, check the box after school, after practice and all that stuff, go out to the house, help dad with what he needed. I wish I would have paid more attention to know more stuff, you know, because now as a homeowner, I don't know how to do anything. 
Like, I'm, and I'll hand out my man card to tell you that. I just, I'm not skilled in stuff. I can paint and I can do yard work, and that's about it. And I will admit this to you right now. This week, I get home from work one evening, and I, I walk like I always do. My wife will verify this, like I always do. I walk in the kitchen with my dinner bucket, I set it on the table, and I take everything out of it, and I begin rinsing out all the dishes, all the containers and stuff, my coffee cup and all that that I've had throughout the day at work. And I rinse it in the sink, and I'll admit, I might not always put it in the dishwasher immediately, but at least it's rinsed and it's ready to go, all right? So I walk in, and I turn the sink on, and nothing happens. Well, Leslie is, is in the living room, and I said, Babe, why is there no water in here? She goes, what? I just washed clothes. I just went to the bathroom and washed my hands. I just did this. There's, we've got water. So at first I'm like, okay, we paid the bill. <laughs> okay, if we did that and she just did something else, there must be a leak. So I go full out panic mode, run downstairs, and I'm looking uh, where I know obviously the main, where the main shutoff is. But she said she just did that, so I know the shutoff is not... Uh, done. I do have at least enough knowledge to know to look for that. And then I go over, there's not a leak anywhere else. And I thought, well, that's strange because she just washed clothes. So I go over to, that, to the bathroom in the basement and I turn on the sink. There's water. I'm like, well, that's funny. So I'm like, well, I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't know these things. I'll go back up and try it again. So I go back in the kitchen, turn the sink on, nothing. I'm like, this is really strange. So I go in the, in the bathroom that faucet works. I turned the shower on. That water worked. So we determined that the only sink, the only faucet in the entire house that was not working was the kitchen. So I'm frustrated. It's late. I need to get to bed. I got to get up early the next morning. So my wife does what she does. She pulls out her phone and Google, starts Googling, why would the sink not work? <laughs> now, this is how different we are. Because I didn't pay enough attention while working. My immediate response, it doesn't matter if we have to wait till payday. It doesn't matter what you got to do. Just go buy a new one. That's my way of fixing things. Just go buy a new one. She has saved us so much money because she looks up things and finds what we actually need. And I'm like, just go buy a new one. Like, it's going to break anyways. Just get a new one. That's my way of fixing everything. So... Um, we still don't have a sink to this day, but the other night, Friday night, whenever I was studying for this out in the sunroom, I was studying for today, and she's in there clanking around. Like, she took the sink apart. Like, don't mess with my wife, y'all. She took the sink apart while I'm in there reading and studying, doing my thing, you know, sipping sweet tea, and she's in there taking my sink apart, and she's like, it's this piece. It's the diverter. I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but congratulations. I'm just going to tell you, two Lowe's Hardwares and a Home Depot later, we still had to order it because they don't have this part. But that's not the point. She found it. I'm just not good at fixing stuff. I'm not. I know nothing about mechanics. I know nothing about electrical. Clearly, I know nothing about plumbing. I just don't know how to, to, to do stuff. If it weren't for YouTube, I wouldn't have a lot of the knowledge that I have anyways. But I'm okay with that. I've accepted it. But I would watch my dad with it. He just knows how to do, like, everything. And I would watch him whenever we were laying the foundation of the house that they live in right now. He would take that, that trowel and he would get the, the mortar, the mud. He would get that and I had his, his, uh, the cinder block lined up and he would take that and with precision, I don't know how he did it, it's crazy. He would get a big old glob of mud on that thing and he would just slap it down on the side of that and it would just 
just going like this straight line. And he would get another big glob of it, and he'd put it on the other side. And then he would get that, the block, and he would sit down on top of it. And he had the line stretched across. He had his level out, and he would take the, the handle of that trowel, and he would, would tap it down until it was just perfect. And he'd go to the other side, and, and, do, and I would watch him be like, that is so cool, but I'm 16, and I don't care enough to pay any more attention than that right now. And I kick myself for it every day. I wasn't good at that. I, I just didn't. I was the mud mixer. He would get the wheelbarrow. I'd get the, the more to the powder and throw it in there, get the water hose, spray it, and I'd take the shovel and I'd mix it. I was the mud mixer. That's what I was good at. If it was too pasty, add some more water. If it's too watery, add some more powder. That's what I was good at. But as you see in this story with Nehemiah, they had work to do. The work was extensive, the Bible says. The work was hard. They knew attacks were coming, but they did not let up. They did not stop. This trial represents the work that you're doing for the Lord, the work that we all are doing for the Lord, serving here at Celebration, telling your families, telling your friends about Christ, helping with other ministries. This represents what we do, our work. Now, I just got to admit to you, some work too much and some work too little. I'm just going to throw that out there because it's true. Some people get distracted with their work. Some people are too wrapped up in their work. Some people work too much. And, and some people work too little. But I want to tell you this. Nowhere in the Bible is it ever okay to just be a consumer in the kingdom of God, in God's economy. Nowhere will you find that that's okay. You hear some hard stuff on Sunday mornings from this stage, some things that are kind of difficult to take, and this is one of them. Nowhere in the Word of God is it said an example or tell us that it's okay to just be a consumer when it comes to the kingdom of God. It takes all of us. All of us are skilled in special and unique ways. That's the way that God formed us. That's the way that God made us. That's the way that God designed the body of Christ the global church, but also each individual church just like us. That's how he designed us to function. We all have special talents. We all have things that we are to be doing. Nowhere is it okay to be a consumer just to come in on Sundays and sit and listen and leave. That's why we have openings for our kids' ministry with our students on First Impressions, our, our ushers out in the parking lot. You hear about us talk about it very frequently nearly every week because it's true and because if you're not in one of those roles you are robbing yourself of what God designed you to do never is it okay just to consume because there's work to do Nehemiah said the work is extensive and there's a lot of work to be done one thing that I'm switching um, in the work that I do here as a volunteer is uh, is with the expecting our first child to come in September and I was serving with the student ministry that's something that this, our students are, are incredible y'all our students are absolutely incredible and they deserve someone who can give them a lot more time than I have available right now working full-time elsewhere and expecting a new baby which I'm excited and completely terrified so because of that we got together as a staff and talked about it, and 
Last week, we, we've announced in the past few weeks in student ministry, but we are having a transition. Brittany Stilwell is going to be uh, leading our youth now because she has more time to devote. It's not going to be her full-time role, unfortunately. Uh, we'll work on that, but uh, she has more time to devote to it, and, and she's going to be awesome at it. So that's one thing that when I say you need to be working in your role, what God has designed you for and what... Um, what we lay out that sometimes we got to switch around sometimes we gotta gotta pull back call an audible maybe we've got to move around but the important thing is we're all to be working because the work is extensive the people cried to nehemiah they said we'll be under attack nehemiah said there's still work to do they said they're going to come in from every side nehemiah said there's still work to do they said, but you don't understand. We're going to have this happen and that and that. And we're so good at complaining, aren't we? And Nehemiah said, it doesn't matter. There's still work to do. Church, we are under attack. But there's still work to do. Satan has thrown this blanket of confusion over us. We complain about everything. Marriages are falling apart. And a lot of this is just happening in the church. Not to mention we're losing our, our county to opioid overdose. Satan is convincing our kids that they need substance to be accepted or to help pain go away. And as adults, we've begun to believe the lie that softball games and trips and homework are okay to take priority over leading our kids and showing them that having a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing that we could ever do. Everywhere we look, there's despair and darkness and hopelessness all around us. There is still work to do even though we are under incredible attack. But that's why Jesus came. Because we couldn't do it on our own. That's why Jesus came. Because when we start doing our work, we realize, I can't do it on my own. Because there's darkness and despair and hopelessness all around us. That's why Jesus had to come to bridge that gap. Because no matter how hard we work, we can never earn or appease God to earn salvation our way into heaven. Because nothing impure can ever get into heaven. And that's exactly what we are on our own. is completely impure. But Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice came to this earth to bridge that gap between us and God because he knew it would never happen on its own. The prophet Isaiah wrote that in our most, our best righteousness, if we would count whatever we have and take it all, our very best righteousness in the eyes of God is nothing more than filthy rags. But it doesn't end there. That's why we needed Jesus. So that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus lived a perfect life. And that's why today we can raise our hands and praise him. That's why today in a world full of hopelessness and darkness and despair and all the junk that we have to deal with, all the negativity and all of that, that's why as children of God, as someone who has put our, hand, our plan uh, into God's hands, our lives into his Hands. We can raise our hands and worship and say, it's okay because God's got this. It doesn't make life perfect when you accept Jesus, but it gives you arms of grace to fall back on whenever the junk happens. Jesus loved you that much while we were still sinners, when we didn't even know that we needed a Savior. Jesus Christ died for us.
And we know that he did not stay dead. But on the third day, the tomb was opened up. The tomb burst open with life as the stone rolled away. And Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. Now we have hope. In the middle of hopelessness, we now have a plan. And it's God's plan for our life. And it's incredible. And I encourage you and beg you to step into God's plan for your life if you never have. In the middle of all of that, there is still work to do. But what about the attacks? What about whenever hopelessness surrounds us? What about whenever all of that is all around us? When there's a lot of work to do, what are we supposed to do? I want you to look at verse 17. Verse 17 is a very incredible verse to me because in verse 17, Nehemiah says this. Everyone who continued to work did so this way. Everyone who carried materials did this. They had their, their, uh, their tool in one hand and their sword in another. Verse 17. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. What about the attacks that we have whenever Satan throws everything that he has against us? Whenever we are in the middle of a complete pit, when we see there's no way that we can get out of it. Well, right here in this, in this story, Nehemiah said, there's still extensive work to do. It is incredible how much work there is to do, but here's what we got to do. We got to keep our sword in one hand and our tool in the other, because here's what happens so often in the church. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. Our path, everyone is guilty of this. It's so easy to get wrapped up in this. Here's what happens. When we join a ministry team or we're focused on leading life group or hosting life group or we've got to make sure that we do this, we've got to make sure we check off our checklist, we've got to make sure that we do that, we're busy working. And that's awesome. That's great. We're, we're busy working. We're throwing that mud on that cinder block. We're setting it up. We're doing it. We're making sure everything's just prime and pristine and it's leveled up and it's perfect. And we're working with our little heart's desire. We're just working with everything that we got. And you know what happens when we do that? What Nehemiah tried to prevent, what Nehemiah did prevent, because whenever we start doing that, we get so focused on what we're doing that we're not looking for the attacks. And when we're not looking for the attacks, we start working, and that's whenever Satan crawls in and rips us apart. Now, we're doing good stuff, mind you. We're doing incredible stuff. We're volunteering every week with the kids' ministry. We're showing up for the special event. We made a casserole for the potluck. We showed up on time for prayer. We did that. We showed up. Hey, we're doing great work. And then we wonder why things feel like they're falling apart. It's because we were too busy focused on working and we didn't pay attention to the attack that was pending, the attack that was coming up. Because here's how Satan works. He is our enemy. And he's an enemy not to be ignored. Have you ever been caught off guard? Have you ever been caught with your guard down? This happens, like, here's a funny way of, of getting this across. It happens to me very frequently because I'm really jumpy. Like, don't come up behind me. I will jump. I will yell. I will swing. You might lose a tooth it happened just the other night I walked in the spare bedroom threw some stuff down that we were getting ready for bed the 
most of the lights were off. The house was dark. Leslie was down at the end of the hallway. We were, you know, talking through the house. I threw some stuff in the bedroom here. I never heard her. She was like a ninja. Got from the other end of the house to the doorway where I was walking out. I had just thrown stuff down. And I turned around. And what she did, she took off running up the hallway in her sock feet. And as she got to the door, right where I was, she slid. And when she slid, and I came around the corner, I don't even know what came out of my mouth. I might need to repent for it because she just popped around that, and I jumped back. And I'm, she's lucky she didn't lose a tooth. And I yelled, and then it, of course, cracked me up, and we laughed for about 10 minutes about it. I'm incredibly jumpy. I get caught off guard all the time. It's a blessing and a curse. But have you ever been caught off guard? That was a funny way of looking at it, but think seriously. Have you ever been caught off guard? And before you know it, you're in the middle of something that you never thought you would be. You had great intentions. Your plans were set. You thought everything was just going to go right. But now you find yourself in a sin or a circumstance. And all you can think of is, I was in the middle of that before I even realized it. We were caught off guard. We were busy working. We were doing great stuff. But we let our guard down. Nehemiah realized the importance of the work. He knew that the work had to continue, but they could not afford to have a surprise attack. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 that uh, Satan is like a lion lurking, prowling, looking for who he can devour. And when he finds that spot, that opening, he jumps for a surprise attack. Satan would love to end the work here at Celebration. The Bible says he's prowling, just seeing who he can devour. Do you feel like Satan has begun to devour you? Do you feel like he's about to devour your family, your way of life? All he needs is a small opening. He just needs a tiny little opening. Just one second that you're busy working. say, all right, I'll lay that down for a second and work on this. That's all it takes. The very second that we let our guard down. That's the battle that we're fighting. We are in a battle, no question about it. We know at the very end, ultimately, God wins. We know that. Jesus' plan always prevails. But until then, we're in a battle. He's won the war, but we are in battle constantly. Maybe you're fighting battles today that you never, ever imagined that you would be fighting. You look back over your life and you think, how did this happen? Where did that come from? I, I, this is something I always thought that would never happen to me. My family will never be dealing with that. You may have even been in a battle before you even walked onto this campus today. Well, Satan loves to lie. It's actually what he does best. He loves to lie. He loves to make stuff up. He's actually the author of lies. And he loves to bring stuff up in our mind that aren't even necessarily relevant to, uh, to what's happening and then try to convince us that they are true. 
Look back in verse 4. This isn't um, on the screen, but look back on verse 2. I'm sorry. Yeah, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Whenever Sambal and Tobiah were getting ready, they were planning their attacks. They had just found out that Nehemiah was coming back to destroy, or to build back up the temple. And they're trying to destroy the work that Nehemiah was doing. Look at what they, they'd send word back to Nehemiah and listen to what they said to him. Verse 2. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices there? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, who was at uh, the man's side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their walls of stone. Those weren't even relevant questions. Of course, Nehemiah wasn't trying to build it back up in a day. Yes, God had sent him on a mighty task. And they started throwing out all these questions that weren't even relevant. They started trying to get in Nehemiah's head for him to put his guard down. They tried to get in it and say, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You're getting the people of Jerusalem together. They've been in captivity. They're weak. They're feeble Jews. They don't know what they're doing. You're going to put together a bunch of men and women that have no idea how to build a wall and expect to fortify your city? You're going to put a bunch, a bunch of people together that are not skilled laborers, that are not good at doing this, and you expect to accomplish something? Does that sound familiar? Even if we're on a, a task that God has put us on, we know what our purpose is, and we know what we're supposed to be doing, and then Satan gets in our head, and we let our guard down. Now, he'll get in there, but you can fight it off. The Bible says that um, in the, by the renewing of your mind, in Romans chapter 12, you can be transformed by renewing your mind. It all starts in your mind. So Satan's going to get in there. If you have your guard up, you can get rid of him real quick out of your mind and get rid of those lies, get rid of those questions that he's throwing at you that don't even matter because they're not true because he is a liar and the author of lies. But our weapon... Our sword to fight off Satan. Even today, Nehemiah's defense pattern works. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's wrap up with the game plan. Let's wrap up with the defense game plan, the pattern here. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes out the way that we can ward off the devil. This is, should probably is a very familiar passage to you. If you, if you grew up in church, if you uh, went to, to Sunday school or VBS anywhere, this is probably a familiar passage to you. But I want you to listen to this. Read along with me. Having in mind that we are always to have our guard up. See what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against other people. We're not fighting against other institutions or other churches or, or anything. The Bible says it's not against people, flesh and blood, but it's against powers. 
in this dark world. It's against, uh, against rulers and authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why it's so easy to let our guard down and let the attacks come because it's in the, the spiritual realm. It's in the heavenly realm, it says. It's not something you can physically see with your eyes. So we have to be conscious. We have to be aware to constantly have our guard up. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The best way to fight off Satan's schemes. The best way to put Satan in his place when he starts lying to you. The best way to get Satan behind you is with the word of God. There is nothing that takes the place of the importance of God's holy word. Look what happens after that in verse 18. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. I want to beg you, do not let anything take priority over the importance of God's word in your daily life. This is something that I realized. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I think they're ridiculous. But it is a natural time to to look at whenever, you know, a natural break in our calendar to think, hey, I, can, I need to change some stuff. I need to do something different. And that's when I realized I am not giving Jesus enough time by any means. Now, I don't have it figured out. Don't, don't hear that. I do not have it all figured out. I stand before you a very sinful, broken man today. But I, I, I told Leslie and I thought about this. I need to make that more of a priority in my daily life. I wake up really early. I'm not necessarily a morning person, but for my job, I have to wake up incredibly early. And I thought, what's 30 more minutes? What's 30 more minutes? So my alarm goes off at 3.30 every morning. I don't jump up immediately. I'm not <laughs> but I've grown since January to now. I've grown to so look forward to that time in the mornings when the house is quiet and I'm sipping on coffee, laying, sitting on my couch, and I open up my Bible and read through it and start my day off like that, instead of pushing it to the end, if it happens at the end of the day. I'm not saying you have to do that. But I am saying do not let anything take priority over the importance of God's word in your life. There's so many battles that we fight that I don't think we were ever meant to fight. There are so many circumstances and situa situations that we find ourselves in that I don't think we were ever meant to be in those positions. There are so many things that we deal with that I just believe God is up there just doing like a face palm saying, why? This is not what I ever meant for you. This is not what I ever had planned for you. What I had planned for you is written in here. And if you'll just open it up and give it a little bit of time every day, that's all it takes. 
The best way to fight off Satan's schemes, the best way to be prepared. we got to keep working. There's extensive work to do. Our county needs Jesus, no doubt about it. Our state, our nation needs Jesus. There is work to do, but the work cannot properly be fulfilled unless we have our guard up. Because the workers went on with a, a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. One thing that I didn't mention in this story is that Samballat and Tobiah attempted to gain an audience with Nehemiah. Whenever they very first found out about it, when they wanted to, to destroy his plans, they sent word to him and they tried to gain an audience with him. This is not in your notes or, it's, or on the screen, but listen to this just real quickly. Nehemiah chapter 6. When they tried to gain this audience with him, here's what happened. When word came to Samballat, Tobiah, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors or the gates, Samballat sent me this message. Come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Verse 5, the fifth time, Sam Balance sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Remember Satan's lies? Remember the things that he makes up? Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, we need to meet together. I sent him this reply, Nehemiah said, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Later on, they even hired a guy to try and trick Nehemiah. But he did not let his guard down. He was able to see right through their schemes because he did not let his guard down. And I also think it's interesting where Sam Ballot and Tobiah wanted to meet. Now I'm just going to give you a glimpse into how my brain works. I think it's very interesting where they wanted to meet. They wanted to meet in a village on the plain of Ono. Now, that has nothing to do with the English language or the term no. But whenever Satan comes to you and wants your attention, when Satan tries to gain an audience with you, I don't want you to remember this. I want you to think and reply to him. Do you want the one-word answer or the two-word answer? No or oh no. Because Nehemiah wouldn't let it happen. He did not let his guard down. He saw right through their tricks and right through their schemes because his guard was up and he was ready to fight at all times. Church, that's the way that we have to function. That's the way that we have to be. Instead of just floating through life, 
I'll go to church when it's convenient. I'll go to church if the weather's bad. Oh, wait, the weather's bad. I'm not going to go to church today. I'm going to stay in. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to commit to that. I'm not going to give. We let our guard down. We get too focused on our work. But Nehemiah led Israel. And you'll be happy to know that they finished the wall in just 52 days. Count them, 52 days. I want you to look again at modern-day Jerusalem. At modern-day Jerusalem, as I described to you earlier, the western wall, that wall is actually what remains of the wall that Nehemiah rebuilt 400 years before Jesus was born. That's why it's a holy, sacred site to them is because it's part of the original wall. Now, it had to be rebuilt because it had been torn down before. And then 37 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven, it was torn down again by the Romans in A.D. 70. But this is what remains of the wall that Nehemiah rebuilt. To this day, you can go to the Holy Land, you can go to Jerusalem and actually touch the wall that Nehemiah and his men rebuilt in 52 days with their tool in one hand and a sword in the other because they would not let the enemy frustrate their plan. They would not let their guard down. They completed the work and part of it still stands today. They completed their work because Nehemiah was determined to not let his guard down. Have you let your guard down? Are there areas in your life you're fighting those battles that you never thought you would be? Your family's in a situation that you, you don't even know how this happened. You're fighting to get your kids back. You're fighting for areas that your kids are in that you, how did this happen? Your marriage is dealing with things that you're thinking, Man, 20 years ago when we said our vows, bad. How, how did this happen? And we've let our guard down. Is there an area that Satan has lurked at your door just long enough that he's found an opening and he's jumped in? Are you fighting but not working? Are you working, but not fighting? This first thing this morning I said, I, I hope you came expecting something. And here's what I know about how God operates. I don't know everything by any means, but here's what I do know about how God operates. As we sang his promises, as Dustin read all the declarations in scripture that he made promises, I do know this. That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I do know this. 1 John 1, 9. That anyone that confesses their sins. That Jesus is faithful and just. And will forgive us of our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I do know that. I don't know everything about God. But I do know that. And maybe you have trusted him with your salvation already. And the Bible says that anytime we repent. He does forgive us. Maybe you have let your guard down, but I want you to know this. 
It is not too late to turn it around. It's not too late to get a sword in your hand and fight for your family. It is not too late to get a sword in your hand and fight and get your marriage back. It is not too late to get a sword in your hand and fight and get your children back because Satan wants them so bad. But let me tell you what, God has such greater plans for our families. He has a purpose for our families. And I don't believe we've even seen a percentage of what God wants to do with this church in this county because people need Jesus and we've got to get our families and our marriages and our children back on course. We've got to keep our guard up. We've got to keep working church, but oh, we've got to get our guard up and get our families back. And then together as a family of God, we can see him do incredible things in our county so much that we can't even believe or imagine. Would you stand with me as we begin a time of response? Have you let your guard down? I want you to know it's not too late today to get a sword in your hand and fight. This altar is open for anything you need to come and confess and get right. We'll have members of our care team out in the hallway if you need to speak with anyone. If you want to take the next step with us today as we move forward as a church, our next step is this. You can write it on your connection card. I will not let my guard down. Church, there's too much at stake. There is too much at stake for us to let our guard down. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come before you today knowing that we need to be changed. Knowing that you are the ultimate change maker. That you have an incredible plan for our lives. We just need to step into your plan. God, I pray that every husband, every wife, every mama, every daddy, every child would examine their life and see where we need to put our guards up. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I bind Satan and his plan against our families. I bind Satan's plan in this church. As we see what we've taken attack after attack, Satan, you will not have your way in this place, but the blood of Jesus will prevail, and the blood of Jesus is perfect. And over thousands of years, it has never lost its power and will not begin today. Jesus, change us. Allow us to continue looking to you to perfect us in our faith and look to you, Jesus, for our strength. And it's in your holy name we pray.